The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen here on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're here with the fabulous, the wonderful Dr. Doreen Grant. Good morning. Good morning. So glad, glad to have you here today. We've got so much to cover today. I want to start by telling everybody we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places that you can watch us. I believe that you can also watch us now on autismnetwork.com. I think this is the first time, the first show that we're doing live on Autism Network, but check me on that, you guys. We, uh, we are also, this is a podcast. This will be podcast later on. It'll be a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you guys. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. Yay. And, it's, yay. and it's because <laughs> of all of you and Dr. Grant Pichet and wonderful experts like her. Um, but it's it's you guys. You guys tune in and you tell other people and we need you to help us to continue to do that. Uh, you know, we don't we don't spend big dollars on marketing. And um, so we count on you to grassroots that for us. If you like what you see here, if you think it's helpful to you, share it with one person. Uh, and that might open doors for them to questions that they can ask, because this is about especially this hour. You get to take a wonderful tour of Dr. Grand Pichet's brain and ask her questions. She is a true expert in the field of autism, having been working in this field for 40 plus years. I know to look at her, you would never guess <laughs> that. Right. I'm aging for her. <laughs> it's like it's like I took that on for her so that she could stay busy. Uh, but she is here to answer your questions. Obviously, in this format, there is no expert in any of any caliber who can give individual specific advice, right? So she can't do that for you. But if you send her lots of information, be as specific as possible. Hi, Becca. Um, then what you can do, she'll ask you questions if you're watching live and you can have a conversation back and forth so that you can get to greater insights because no one knows more than she does about this field. And hopefully she can help you to understand a little bit better what's going on. So you can go back to the expert who has eyes on the situation to get more information. Agreed? Does that sound about right, Dr. Grampichet? That sounds perfect. And whenever we get uh, questions written in, then we'll just do our best with the information you've provided us. There we go. Uh, Becca, we're so glad that you're here. And Becca is identifying um, themselves as being someone on the spectrum with also ADHD. And so, uh, so thrilled that you are here. Our show is meant for um, the, the larger autism community, which starts, of course, with individuals who are on the spectrum, that hashtag actually autistic. We welcome you here, but we also welcome everyone who loves those individuals. So um, it, this is an open forum for everyone. You can start writing in your questions right now. Uh, I think Traven showed you some of the different places where we are live, because we're live on about 16 different sites right now. I know that number constantly changes. At some point I have to get a real count, but it changes from day to day where, where we're live. Um, and, and then we podcast every place you get your podcasts were a free download. So that's a really 
amazing thing. And Becca says adulting is hard. Yes. I think adulting is hard for absolutely everyone. <laughs> we all agree. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. But, you know, sometimes you have additional challenges um, with ASD and ADHD. And when you have that combo platter, it can be, um, adulting can be very hard. Any words of wisdom for adulting, Dr. Grand Pichet? I'll I'll take notes because I need them. No, I mean, absolutely. You said it very well, Shannon. And, uh, you know, yes, Becca, we completely uh, you know, just with our own issues, believe me, we all have issues and we find adulting to be hard, but Shannon is right. It gets harder when you are struggling with things like ASD and ADHD. So we're here to support you. Um, and if there's anything we can answer for you, please feel free to let us know. Yeah. You know, our jargon of the day on Monday, Dr. Grampuche was uh, self-regulation. Oh yeah. And, and it wasn't until I had to really look at the definite, the actual definition for it that I, I didn't realize, because I always think of self-regulation as being able to keep yourself calm and together. And I wasn't thinking about the fact that it's also about being able to follow through on goals oh, yeah. and to reward yourself. Yep. Like that's the part that my brain was like, oh, that's part of self-regulation, being able to reward yourself when you do the things that you're supposed to do. I think a lot of people miss that part of it. Yeah. I mean, even we do, right, Shannon? I mean, we're telling people yeah. about this all the time and then we experience it ourselves. A lot of times I feel like, okay, like last night, for instance, I wasn't able to sleep because I was thinking of a million different things that were all kind of disturbing thoughts, right? They were like, oh, and I worry about this and what about that? And I haven't done this and how can I change that and all these things. And then you remind yourself to step away and be calm and allow yourself peace and that's all part of the self-love, right? That we're all trying to learn and improve and, and talk to others about as well, which is, yeah, it's it's extremely hard, um, as Becca said, adulting, but also just, you know, life has, has become difficult and, and challenging with all the illnesses and, um, you know, work and competition. And like, there's just so much going on. And in our lives. And it is super important to try to separate yourself from all the struggles and stress and remind yourself that life is short and you kind of have to just enjoy every moment as much as you can. Because um, before you know it, you look back and you've spent most of your life just worrying about something, you know? So it's, it's good to always be able to remind yourself and and do the things that you need to do to feel better. Absolutely. Uh, which is a great segue for us to talk about the fact that you are not coming to us from your office right now That's or right. from your home. That's right. That you're on you're on a little bit of a reward tour. That's right. And um, for those of us who, like me, we all love Dr. Grampiche and we look up to her and we love to listen to what she has to say because she's such an amazing expert. But we can never forget that Dr. Grampiche is also a person in her own right and that 
that you have you have things that you love and that you you have just like the rest of us you're a fan girl yeah. for the things that you love <laughs> and 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 you you have a past you were a teenager once that's right so now now that i've put all those things out there tell people where you are and what you're doing because it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> and i think a lesson for all of us about self love and self care and and making because you nobody works harder that I have ever met in my life than you do. So this is much deserved. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that. But you know what? I think the the lesson actually, if I go back a little bit and, and tell the true story, the full story, I think uh, people might appreciate that even more. So I was very, very young when I uh, started at UCLA, right? As you know, I was 15 years old and I didn't have my family here because they were going through, our country was going through a revolution. And so uh, I, it was, it was difficult and UCLA is a huge university. And so one of the um, earliest things that I, I came across because I was working at the, the North cafeteria at, at UCLA and uh, um, making donuts and, and the guy next to me who was making burgers um, introduced me to the band Genesis and I really fell in love with their music and a lot of people know Genesis because of Phil Collins as their singer but um, it's a fantastic band amazing music and so I at that time because I was very young um I hadn't yet found the balance of of being responsible and also having self-love, right? So when we're teenagers, we're going too far to one side or another, right? And so I actually followed them. Uh, this was my uh, second quarter at UCLA. And I followed them uh, through four states and went to all of their concerts. And because it was just such a wonderful experience, but then, unfortunately, that led to my grade point average dropping to 1.3, which is subject to dismissal, which now I can look back and laugh at that because obviously I later not only got my bachelor's, but my master's and my doctorate at UCLA. So uh, I turned that around quickly. It was a good warning sign for me. But um, but that was literally uh, 42 years ago, right? So and now when I look at it, um, so you know I they of course the band broke up in about I don't know 12 14 years ago or so, and just recently they they came back together and they're doing a tour, and they've just come to the United States. They're not on the West Coast. They're doing a tour. Um, so I decided to follow them. I saw them in Detroit and now I'm in Cleveland and next I'm going to Philadelphia and then after that, New York City. And um, yeah, it's wonderful. And the best part of it is, I mean, I can still keep working like this and then go to the concerts at night. And the best part of it is that the first night when I arrived, I literally checked in, went down to the restaurant with my husband to have something to eat and in walks the band. And of course, I was a complete fangirl and went and met them and took a picture with them and told them my story of how much they've influenced my life. And, you know, last night I was um, going texting with um, actually one of my recovered adults who also knows and loves Genesis. And we were, I was talking about how it's unfortunate that like their band, you know, Phil Collins is so old and stuff. And 
and they should bring their other singer was Peter Gabriel. They should bring him back. And the reason I'm saying this story is that this uh, adult, uh, recovered adult that I was texting with, he said, um, don't forget, nothing is impossible, Doreen. Everything is possible. <laughs> and when he wrote that to me, I just thought like, oh my God, I love that he is telling me nothing is impossible, right? Because, I mean, I, I met him when he was four years old, right? And he's now in his 30s. So I love that. I love that. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we're so glad that you, A, are taking the time to do this for yourself because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to revisit that. And and B, that while you're out busy being a fangirl that you took the time to, that you are working and that you took the time to be with us to take this hour. So I thought people would appreciate that about you. But we got a bunch of questions that are pouring in. So we're going to be serious for a minute here. Right. Uh, uh, I'm going to slaughter some of your usernames. Uh, Yushalad wants to know, um, please share your reviews about therapeutic listening for children with autism. Yeah. It's funny because I just wrote an article uh, or did an interview with Parenting Magazine and we were talking about um, depression in, in autism. That was the subject. And we were talking about, you know, standard types of therapy. And of course, listening is, you know, a big part of standard type of psychotherapy. And I, I, I just you know, as a, I'm a psychologist before I was a behavior analyst, right? Because the field of behavior analysis didn't even exist when I got licensed. So I'm a psychologist. So I don't want to ever say anything bad about psychology or psychotherapy. I think it's incredible and useful to so many, but I think there's so much more that individuals on the spectrum need than just, I, I think it's very important for, for them to be able to express themselves and to receive psychotherapy if they are high functioning enough to be able to, and I hate using the term high functioning, but it really has more to do with whether or not they are able to analyze themselves because what happens in listening therapy or therapy, uh, psychotherapy is a lot of feedback is given and you have to analyze your own process and then try to change it in a way that helps you thrive. Um, so in my mind, it's usually more effective for individuals with uh, autism to, to do cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, behavioral therapy is just sort of ABA, but cognitive behavioral therapy is more like psychotherapy, but it has a behavioral uh, side to it. So you're given activities and exercises to actually practice so that you can see the effect of these changes that are coming up in your psyche. So I think CBT or cognitive behavior therapy is probably a little bit better. And you know, what's interesting. I love your answer to all that, but I thought they meant like some of the listening programs like Baralt and that kind of a thing. Yeah, that's auditory integration therapy that if they're referring to auditory integration, then if they could let us know, and I'll talk a little bit more about Tomatis okay. and those methods. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sonia says, my seven-year-old is showing, uh, showing through intellectual deficit and speech delay and lately diagnosed with ADHD. He's having therapies, but how do you manage, manage the ADHD? Yeah. So 
And I'm glad you said that because uh, Becca is on here as well, and she can maybe listen to this as well. And I'm sure there are others as well who are struggling with both autism and ADHD, and it's hard. It's very difficult. Autism on its own, you know, there was a time, you guys, until like maybe 2013 or so, we were not even allowed to diagnose both ADHD and autism together because the overlap is so much that it's very hard to tell if someone actually has ADHD because autism is a little bit more uh, kind of overwhelming and it basically, uh, you know, it, it, the, the lack of ability to pay attention is already very strong with autism. And when you add ADHD to it, it makes it much, much harder. And, and remember, there's different types of ADHD. So there are, there's the hyperactive type, which I'm working with a child right now who has very severe uh, hyperactive ADHD. And I can tell you, he's having a very hard time learning because he's, his pace is much, much faster than anybody else's pace. And so, and that's pretty common. And even if you don't have the hyperactive type, you can also, you will also have the inattentive type, which is like, it's really difficult to focus on one thing and your mind is always running and active and trying to do multiple things at the same time. So my recommendation when I have um, a patient who has both is really to get some help from the medical side, right? And if you, there are a lot of medications for ADHD. And I know as a parent myself, we often struggle with giving our children any kind of medication, but it is worth a try because if you see a really significant change and with the ADHD medications, which are stimulants, you will see the change pretty rapidly. And if you do see a change pretty rapidly, then you'll notice that your child has now slowed down enough and is able to focus on things they need to learn, which will really help them on, you know, gain skills um, that'll help them thrive in life. Can we also, I, I, I so appreciate what you're saying, and I don't want to seem anti the medical side at all, because I've, I've seen that really help people. But can we also talk for just a minute about diet reducing, and yeah, diet, diet and sugar. reducing pesticides? Yes. Yeah, sugar and, and pesticides. Well, there's another question I noticed that was asking about, you know, is there any connection between IBS and autism? Yeah. I'm happy to go into this all together. So, for, but first yeah. for ADHD, we're looking at uh, the, the extreme things that you see with ADHD, very connected to sugar intake. So make sure that your child is not uh, ingesting sugar. I mean, sugar has absolutely no benefit to the human being whatsoever. So you can eliminate sugar. Um, and the other thing is, of course, food dyes food dyes tend to produce a lot of hyperactivity in our kids as well. And now to go on to my, like everybody, you know, <laughs> buckle in because I'm going to start talking about our pesticides and the situation that we have in this country, which is very, very concerning. And it's not only the, only in the U.S., but in the U.S. It's, it's pretty bad. And we haven't started turning things around yet, unfortunately. So 
um, a lot of you will remember that, you know, that there was this really big um, lawsuit with Roundup. Remember that? Roundup was uh, the, the primary form of pesticide that was being sprayed on everything, all of our crops, our main crops particularly. And of course, <clears throat> their company was then later sued which was very shocking because multi thousands of people were trying to sue. But then finally, um, this one gentleman who was a greenskeeper managed to get his lawsuit to a jury. And of course, he won millions. And then after that, many, many, many others sued. And so Roundup kind of gradually became uh, less uh, sort of it, their, the company actually started to go down. Um, and uh, everyone will be shocked to know that the company was then purchased by Bayer, which is a German pharmaceutical company. So let's just start with that. Currently, uh, what happens to 90% of the agriculture in the United States is controlled by a German pharmaceutical company. So let's just start there. Um, and pharmaceutical companies, and I'm not necessarily pointing the finger here, but pharmaceutical companies obviously have an incentive to for everyone to get sick because then they can actually sell us more pharmaceuticals. So um, what is happening with the pesticides is that these pesticides that are on our main crops are not necessarily even, it's, it's not possible for us right now to get eliminate these pesticides anymore because they're water soluble and they've already gone into the water source. And so it's everywhere. It's in our water, it's in our food, it's in all of the seeds that are manufactured are GMO. That means they're genetically modified seeds uh, that are not producing any of the nutrition that we need. And then on top of that, they have exposure to these pesticides. So a lot of the food that we eat is not nutritious and it's toxic. So putting that together, the vast majority of people, not, not just children on the spectrum or individuals on the spectrum, but the vast majority of people now have some form of inflammation in their gut. So that means when you eat, you get bloated or you just don't feel very good. A lot of people are now becoming gluten-free because gluten uh, makes that worse. Um, and so as you know, a lot of people are on a lot of different types of diets because they're trying to feel better. So there is irritable bowel syndrome in many, many, many people. There's other types of GI issues. In some cases, it's a little bit more serious. People have celiac like there are <clears throat> chronic inflammatory diseases of the gut are happening. Now, why do we also see it in our children and in individuals on the spectrum? Well, the other side of what we know about autism is that the individuals, some, not every, but there's people with autism have a lower redox cycle that means they are eliminating toxins a little bit slower than healthy people. So if you have a lower redox cycle, and that's a genetic thing, right? If you have a lower redox, just like high cholesterol is a genetic thing. So if you have low redox cycle and you are exposed to these toxins and our pesticides, 
yes, you're going to react stronger. You're going to be more susceptible to these pesticides, whereas some other people could, for instance, eat the same food and nothing would happen, right? So we're all different. We all have different things going. But yes, I see a very high correlation now with uh, people who are autistic and with irritable bowel types of issues. And it's very concerning. And I'm glad you asked the question because often people forget that it's a whole different thing. Like it, when you have, in other words, I've had patients where the parents told me that the child has um, 10 times a day, they have diarrhea. Because that's very, very concerning. But because the parents are so concerned with the, all, the, all the other symptoms of autism, doctors tend to say something like, oh, that's just part of the autism. And the autism symptoms tend to overshadow these, these GI symptoms, which are extremely disturbing, definitely causing the children a lot of pain or discomfort. It's probably interfering with sleep all those types of things. So when you see those things with your kids, focus on them, take care of them, try to get your child on an organic diet if you can, because organic foods are supposed to not have these pesticides. Um, they have other issues, but at least it's better. And you should be able to see some change in your child. And, and the fact is that we, we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the first study that showed that um, ADH-like symptoms had a correlation to how much pesticide was in children's urine. And there are specific reasons why we've covered that endlessly before on the show, but lowering the pesticide load on your child's body can help with ADHD symptoms, as well as lowering that... Um, as, as Dr. Grampichet was saying, the artificial colors and flavors. There are other countries that don't allow the artificial colors and flavors that we allow here in the United States. So definitely, I think it's really worthwhile to clean up the diet. Oh, it's tremendously important. It's probably the most important thing. In fact, like I'm planning to do that for my entire family. This morning, I was looking at ways to grow vegetation in my backyard because Truthfully, we're getting to a point now where uh, it's very, very difficult to get clean food or get non-chemical food, and um, it's it's kind of destroying us very slowly. I mean, there are so many bad statistics that I just recently read about, Shannon. Like, I don't know if, if uh, our viewers are aware that something like, I think it's one in four men and one in three women have fertility issues now. And all of this goes back to those pesticides and GMO foods that we're consuming all day long. So it's very, very concerning. Well, I, I can't wait to talk with you offline about the, the farm that you're going to start in your backyard. And uh, I have lots of ideas. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there we go. Uh, okay. Uh, we had a bunch of questions that went along with this. Uh, Lightning wants to know, does biomedical treatment help autism sy symptoms like the GAPS diet and oat and mitotoxin testing? And, and I think it goes hand in hand with this. Uh, Ushalad said, what causes autistic children to laugh for no reason? Silly laughter. Because these are all, I think, part of that conversation that you were just talking about. Yeah. So I do recommend that you uh, look into biomedical interventions. 
And by that, what I mean is do the testing. That's, I think, very important um, because when you're doing the testing, you'll, you'll see the results. Like, it's just very clear. You'll see the results and you'll see if your child is carrying toxins that need to be eliminated. Um, and you'll also, honestly, I have a, a very Eastern medicine uh, doctor that I work with myself and she does monthly testing because she wants to see whether the body is actually changing and eliminating a lot of the toxins. So it is important to use data as in testing to identify if your child is, is detoxing. That's super important. Um, and then again, there are certain things that like we all avoid now certain things because they are the ones that are the most toxic, right? So um, corn and soy, and unfortunately, all of those types of things are the heaviest crops that are that are carrying pesticides. So um, I do recommend looking into biomedical interventions because many of the interventions end up in just diets. And, and I think diets are very important for us. Yes. Absolutely. I want to take just a little break to talk about my friend who's behind me right here because our Autism Live 2021 Toy and Gift Guide is live right now, both on autismnetwork.com. You can click the toy guide at the top, or if you go to our Autism Live site, which is autism-live, where you guys are used to finding us, there's also a toy guide button that will redirect you um, to right where you need to be. This is one of our featured toys in the preschool category. This is our speech builder. And I chose to demo this today with Dr. Grampuche because uh, Dr. Grampuche Pichet fell in love with this the other day. That and, and is spectacular, you guys. Like, oh, there you go. That's awesome. Isn't he sweet? This is Bailey, and Bailey is the speak and learn puppy. Bailey comes to us from Leapfrog. Uh, ba Bailey is available right now. When you go to the toy guide and you go through, um, there's a link for each one of the toys, where a place where you can go and buy it directly there, or you can go and find Bailey in the stores. Uh, but not only did Dr. Grampuche fell in love with Bailey, but a member of her family fell in love with Bailey as well. Yeah, that's right. And we have a video of it, I think, somewhere. Because I was trying to demonstrate Bailey and show our audience how good, this is a really good toy. Let's just start there. Yes. It teaches a lot of different things and it's absolutely fun to play with. The ears move up and down. It makes sounds. It walks back to you. It's a wonderful toy. There you go. Hi. I'm Bailey. There you go. And unfortunately, when I was demonstrating, my little cocker spaniel Frankie heard Bailey, ran over, and that was it. There was no getting <laughs> Bailey away from her. So we ended up having to give her a Bailey. <laughs> and she and loved she that Bailey. Something. Oh my gosh. But this really is a remarkable toy and it won the Speech Builder Award for a very special reason because it encourages children to talk. It teaches a bunch of different things. It teaches letters and numbers and ABC and, and there's songs that it does. But it also has an element where it records the child's voice and it has a, it's really quite advanced it changes the child's voice and, and um, it will just morph it a little bit and repeat it back to them. So it actually can have a conversation with the child. So Bailey will say to the child, you know, tell me, 
what kind of food you like, right? And the child says, or, or it says, you know, make a silly sound. And the child goes, ah, like that. And then Bailey will tell a story and repeat back to the child what the child did. So it really helps to build conversation. We super love Leapfrog. And this was my favorite thing that I saw of it. I also love the movement of it. It, it you know, it's something that any child will absolutely love. And each one of its paws, you can push and, and it does. I don't, it's so, it's you know, with this sound, it's a little hard. Um, but you can push out. It's very interactive. You loved it. You went nuts over it. It is and a great toy. It's a great toy. It, a great it teaches toy. so many different concepts and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Uh, but that new storytelling uh, aspect of it, that's, that's a pretty hot technology. And the fact honestly. that it moves, honestly, it's so, so fabulous. So speak and learn puppy. Uh, and as it says, it says, let's build, uh, a, uh, let's build a story. So, uh, there's the toy guide and you can see the speak and learn puppy, uh, along with many other toys. We're going to be covering them throughout the month of December, but you don't have to wait. You can, you can go and, uh, look at all the different toys and the awards that they won. We have six different categories. And then within each, each category, there are 16 different awards. And I really encourage you don't just go to the category that the child is in age wise, look at all of them, because there are things that we have in the adult section that are age appropriate for a three-year-old. It's just that, you know, we thought it would be super for adults. So please uh, check it out. And Renee, I love that it made your Christmas shopping easier. So there's there's all the categories. Notice that there's even a category for caregivers. And of course, there's a category for adults. Um, so we, we hope that you guys, I think that there's something for everybody on that list. And we look forward to knowing uh, what you guys like on the list. So just wanted to take a little break for that before we wade into a really controversial subject. Uh, Lightning wrote in and said, um, oh, we didn't really talk about the laughing. Can we talk about the laughing really quick? And then we're going to talk about stimming. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about laughing. Thank you. That was the, I thought I forgot something. So <laughs> the laughing to me usually is more of a sign of some form of detox going on. And often it has to do with yeast, actually, because when we have children who are coming off or detoxing from yeast, from uh, which a lot of our kids struggle with, um, candida, and so what happens is they will start to laugh and it looks like they're drunk and it's silly and laughing and um, it's, a, it's what we call a die-off reaction. And over time, that does get better usually. Wonderful. Um, okay. But Lightning wrote in and said, how can stimming be controlled? And I know Becca had to leave, but Becca responded and Becca had identified herself at the beginning of the show as somebody who's on the spectrum. And, and she said, you know, it's, it's really important to let people stim and that if she doesn't stim, stim that she would self damage. And so I really want to open this conversation because I think sometimes the way we language things um, is really important. So maybe if you could start by telling us what stimming is, because I think there's a misunderstanding there. And then I understand as a parent, when a parent says, well, I want to control the stimming, I understand what they mean, which is how, you know, how do I help my child be able to do more than just stim? 
right? Um, and But then on the other side, for our self-advocates, it's like, please don't try to take away things that are helpful and useful to us. So help us out here, Dr. Grampuchet. Yeah, let's talk about stimming. So uh, first of all, stimming or self-stimulatory behavior um, refers to a one class of symptoms that are present um, when you diagnose someone, they have to be present. They're part of the symptomology of autism. And they can be different things, but the characteristic that defines them is that they are all repetitive, stereotypical, and don't appear to fulfill any kind of, you know, um, adaptive function, I guess. So for example, things that fall under the category of stimming or self-stimulatory behavior are things like, um, let's say, oh, my my lighting here is changing. I apologize. Oh, we, we didn't notice. Yeah. So there are things like, for instance, um, putting your toys in a particular line, a perfect line, um, or looking at <clears throat> objects that are circular, like the ceiling fan, or doing these types of things in the corner of your eyes, or even body rocking, or, I mean, there's lots of different types of behaviors, and they all kind of fall under this category of self-stimulatory behavior, right? Now, from a, I guess, medical perspective, um, we don't know a lot about what causes the self-stimulatory behavior. There are some people that believe that the body rocking in particular helps calm the individual or helps reduce their, um, if they have gastrointestinal pain, for instance. But this motion in general of body rocking does stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. So it is something that calms which is why we have rocking chairs, right? Because yeah. it's a very calming motion. So there are theories about what causes the stimming. I always say it's funny because it's, it's called self-stimulatory. It should actually be called self-relaxing or self-soothing type of behavior. Um, the other, I personally, my take on self-stimulatory behavior is that they shouldn't be classified as one. They each have a different function, in my opinion. So yes, there are things like this that might be calming. Um, I think when we're looking at things like lining objects up, that's more of a compulsion. Um, when you have um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which a lot of our kids also have some aspect of uh, having obsessive compulsive types of behaviors, the doing the compulsion is a re you do that because you, there's so much stuff bothering you with the obsession that the compulsion helps relieve that pressure. Now with normal people who have, let's say OCD people, right? People who have OCD, what they're, they're, the obsession is like, oh my God, there are lots of germs everywhere. And the compulsion is I'm going to wash my hands, right? So that becomes their cycle. But I think with our kids, there's such a... Um, like they have control over so few things in their environment that they do these things in order to gain some control and also because it's calming to some extent, right? Like they will hoard objects, they will put them in a very patterns, right? Which also, by the way, 
potentially could be patterns that are somehow meaningful for them because as we know, uh, some of our kids see things completely differently than we do. They have sensory uh, regulation that's different than ours, right? So I, I don't like to call it dysregulation because I feel like they just see things in a different way than we do, it's a, than the, the rest of the world does. So some of these visual types of things like lines and looking at objects that are circular and so on, to me, are, is some, some response from their sensory needs. They, they're doing something because they, sensor, from a sensory perspective, need to do that. And I, earlier I was reading a lot of the stuff that Becca was writing, and I think a lot of that is the same, right? We have certain needs and we respond to them that way. Now, do we want to eliminate self-stimulatory behavior? As Shannon said, there's like it's a hot topic because... Sometimes uh, people who have autism will say, leave me alone. I don't want you to change me. And that's perfectly, totally fine. But my, the way I look at it is we all are, you know, in this world and we kind of have to live by the rules of this world, right? Fortunate or unfortunate. Like uh, some of our folks are very, very sensory sensitive, so they can't uh, put, they don't enjoy putting clothing on, but that doesn't mean that it's okay for them to walk around naked, right? We actually shape their behavior and teach them to keep their clothing on because that's what society rules expect from us. And a lot of times when we're doing self-stimulatory behaviors, we're not engaged in anything else. We're so focused on this particular self-stimulatory thing that it takes us away, it isolates us from everything else outside and it prevents us from learning, right? It prevents us from socializing. It prevents us from getting friends. It prevents us from, it makes us lonely and alone. And so what, and, and it also makes us fall behind because we're not paying to the t attention to the teacher. We're focusing on whatever it is we're doing with our hands. Now, my my feeling about it personally, Shannon, is that as long as the person and their guardians or, or people who care about them feel that the self-stimulatory behavior is calming and it is not detracting from other aspects of life, then I think it's perfectly fine, right? I mean, a lot of people will, I'm looking for a pencil, but like people will like tap a pencil, chew on a pencil, I don't know, people do this Click with their knuckles. I yeah. mean, we do all kinds of stuff that could be classified as self-stimulatory, but it's not. they're not necessarily things that will prevent us from doing other things. And we can stop doing them in order to do those other things, right? When it becomes, when it starts to detract from other aspects of life and when it's important, like a lot of parents will tell me, I want my child to pay attention and learn language. Okay, then I do need to stop the stimming because if he continues the stimming, he's not going to be able to pay attention and learn language. Yeah. So it's kind of, it, it's a balance, right? At the same time, there's this thing called the PREMAC principle, which it basically says that if you, if there's something that's extremely rewarding in, in any way, then you can use it as a reinforcer for other behaviors that are less rewarding. 
And so if self-stimulatory behavior is very rewarding, it's very calming, I will often allow my patients to self-stimulate at intervals, right? So I will allow them to self-stimulate as a reinforcer. I'll stop them. I'll have them do whatever it is, like their language exercises or their game or their interaction with someone else or whatever it is I'm trying to teach them. But I will definitely give them the opportunity to go to their room, have an area of the room where it's safe and they can sit in their uh, beanbag and self-stimulate and whatever it is, as long as the next time there's an opportunity for social interaction, they're willing to let go of that and come out Mm -hmm. and interact again. So it's kind of like, you know, helping the individual regulate themselves and give themselves some of the reinforcers that they need, but then also do the things that society requires of us. Absolutely. It's a tough thing. And I I think it's tough to understand, but I love to use the example of Dr. Temple Grandin that she still loves to talk about. There were two things that she especially liked to do that, that would come under the stimming heading. There was a metal plate on her bed that was on a screw and it was loose and she could spin the metal plate. And she said, I could spin that for hours. I still could spin that for hours. And yeah. she's at a point in her life where she's able to talk about why. And she, and, and she, like you get her talking about it. She's like, Oh, it's so good. Cause I can make it go slow and the light reflects differently on it or I can make it go fast. And I, and, and she's like, it just, it's such a soothing thing to me. Yeah. And her, her mom looked at that and said, okay, you like to spin the plate on your bed. That's great, but it can't be the only thing you do in life. Right. So you can spin it for an hour a day, but then you have to go muck the stalls. And by the way, you're good with how you draw and you can't draw and spin a metal plate at the same time. So you get an hour a day to spin the plate, but then you have to go muck the stalls and draw the horses. There you go. And then eventually you have to draw the building and look at the career she's had. If you've never seen the pictures, the, the, the schematics that she draws. And she says, if my mother had just let me spin the plate, that's all I would have ever done. That's all I would have ever been is that's somebody right. who spins a plate. So it's hard. I, I think we have to be very um, mindful of the, of the souls that we love and, and be gentle and kind and not try to completely remove something that's calming somebody down, but not let it limit them. Like you said, when it begins to detract from other things, yeah. how can we then turn it into reward so that it's not a constant thing? That's right. Uh, so it, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but I, but I want to make sh- I wanted people to hear you. Cause I think a lot of times people on the spectrum think what you said, I'm, you're trying to change us. You're trying to make us like everybody else. We don't want to be like everybody else. But I, I meet a lot of people on the spectrum who have one frustration point. They're like, I want a date or I want a job. And, and sometimes the, there's something stopping them from being able to do that. So we have to help them to find the way, right? And this Absolutely. is just one of the things on the list. And by the way, it's not just people on the spectrum. It's all of us. Yes. It's all of us. I mean, we all start out, and earlier I was saying, like when we're teenagers, we don't know. I, I, well, the most valuable lesson I think that I ever got from my dad 
was that he always used to say, whenever you don't know which direction to go, choose the middle. Because the middle, like in life, we tend to go so extreme when we're younger, right? We go and party like crazy. And then two days. Or follow Genesis around for months. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, And not even attend any classes. Exactly. And then you're like, okay, well, that was a little too extreme. So how can I do that? Which is not, how can I get that reinforcer, but not like obsess over it. Right. So like now this time that I'm following them, I'm working. I'm still working during the day. I'm writing, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then I see them at night. Whereas you know, that, so that's kind of learning all of us. We learn over time to balance our needs, right? And so we also have needs that could be just like stimming. They, yes. j- they're they exactly the same. Like, you know, what it's something like doesn't necessarily do anything, but it's very calming for me, let's say, to lay down, listen to music, read a book, take a bath, whatever it is. And, but that I don't do that 24 seven because there's another part of me that has to do with socializing, interacting, learning and all of that. But it all goes back to my favorite quote of yours, which is, it has to be fair. Yeah. So when, when we're teaching our kiddos, we want our kiddos to learn and to grow. And if Temple's mother had only ever let her spin the plate, she wouldn't have learned and grown. But mom, but mom did not, Eustacia did not say you can never spin the plate. It has to be fair. So we have to think about what do our kids want and what do we want for them? And we have to find the fair way. Uh, yes. And I love that good ABA, which is what Dr. Grampiche does, looks at exactly that and says, let's make it fair. Yeah, so, absolutely. Amazing. And sometimes, and always remember folks, when you're doing when you're just starting out changing a behavior, it's, there are more reinforcers. In other words, it's super fair. Like it's more tilted towards heavy reinforcement. And then over time you increase demands and reduce reinforcers so that it becomes more like real life. But in the beginning, it is skewed to have much more reward and reinforcer. That's called shaping. Because you never want to like suddenly cut out a reinforcer that the individual is used to, because then it'll become an aversive situation for them. There we go. I do want to go back to Ushalad wrote back and said that auditory listening, it, she was talking about auditory yeah. listening therapy, listening to some kind of music using headphones. I heard from many parents, it helps a lot with receptive skills, auditory processing disorder. So do you want to talk about Tamara? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Tomatis and Berard. So they're, um, this is called auditory integration therapy. And the concept with it is that uh, we have, uh, you know, over the course of our lives, the inner, the inner hair cells of our ears have all been exposed to the same level of sounds and say frequencies. And so they've all activated And so now when you hear something, um, let's say that's a silent letter, like, "Mm," as opposed to a, you know, voiced letter, like, buh, you, you can differentiate those, right? Because you, those inner hair cells are what you're, what help you perceive these, you hear them in a certain way and they give the right message to your brain. So you're differentiating and hearing all of the sounds. 
uh, in the God, this is this will tell you how old I am, Shannon, because I'm trying to remember when I did all this training for tomatoes. So that would have been like in the I want to say the 90s or maybe even earlier than that. Um, people started believing that, oh, so some, well, this is how it came about actually, that we would always tell kids, parents at like after diagnostic that we want one of the rule out tests that we wanted parents to do was to get an audiogram to make sure that the child is not hearing impaired, right? Because sometimes kids uh, who have autism don't even respond when you call their name. So you can't be sure. And let me tell you, I did actually have a child who we were trying to teach and we learned he's completely hear deaf. So it's important to identify those things. And so parents would go and get their kids tested. And the audiogram is that test where, you know, the child is in a booth and there's like a toy in the far corner and another one over here and they make sounds. And, and the, the your experimenter is looking to see if the child turns to the sound which indicates that they're learn they're hearing certain things, right? And then there's another test, which is the auditory brainstem test, which actually looks at the vibrations in the inner ear and tells you how much the child is hearing. Okay, so from that, we came to the realization that some of our kids were not hearing every sound at this at the intensity that they should. So different frequencies of sounds, they were hearing some very intensely, others not so intensely, different from the way you and I hear them. And that does influence language. There's no question. Uh, in fact, one of my recovered adults told me that when he was little, he would hear the loudest sounds that he would hear were things like doors opening and closing or creaking and language for him was kind of a background noise. Mm -hmm. And it took him a lot of time to teach himself to focus on the sound of language, which was background noise for him. So, and then that, then his language picked up, obviously, because, I mean, if you can imagine, Shannon, like that's, this is why I always say it's important to put ourselves in our, in the, the position that our kids are in and see how they interact with the world and what are they receiving, right? And if you're receiving if you're expected to learn and decipher patterns of language from something that's a background noise, you're not going to do it. It's much harder. Yeah. So that's the concept with auditory integration training. They're a little bit different. Berard, if I remember correctly, had two sets and they were a little bit louder. This is modulated music. So it's not just music, but it is, it's music that we all listen to. Like, let's say, I don't know, Barry Manilow. And it is, it's modulated. So the idea is that first you do an audiogram. And if your child is able to identify enough sounds that they hear and don't hear, then it will help the, the audiologist determine a pattern. So like these particular hair cells are inactive. These are overactive. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to modulate the music in a way that Wherever the frequency of sound is for a hair cell that's overactive, I'm going to reduce that sound in the music. Mm -hmm. And for the hair cells that need to be activated, I'm going to enhance that sound. So it's the same music, like, as, and then it, it'll just go, that's what it sounds like, because you're trying to activate certain hair cells that the child mm -hmm. usually is not hearing those frequencies. 
And then tomatoes is, I think, three separate rounds. Each round, I forget now, I think it's like 10 or 15 days. And you go in and you basically put headphones on and you listen to this uh, music. And um, that's it. And the concept is, okay, by doing this, you've now activated certain hair cells of the inner ear. This will sort of wake your child up in regards to all the sounds they're hearing, and then they will be able to learn more, which theoretically makes a lot of sense. I did see uh, some parents who really felt that it uh, helped improve their child's attention and ability to pay attention to sounds. I also met a couple of parents who felt that it caused their child to become a little bit aggressive. And I'm thinking in those cases, maybe it was just because it was too much. Uh, you know, if anyone is exposed to too much sound, it yeah. can become disturbing. Tomatis is a milder method. I think it's like uh, lower frequencies, longer duration. Berard is a little bit uh, stronger and shorter. And it seems to go... Um in cycles, how, how many yeah. people are, and it's, it seems like there's a resurgence all of a sudden of people wanting yeah. to rediscover yeah. this. It can be very expensive and it can be very hit and miss. I too have, have uh, talked to families where they felt that, that there was a, a language boon afterwards and that their child was more self-regulated and that it was really helpful. And, and other families where they either said, we spent all this money and we, we don't feel like it did anything. Or in fact, yeah. one family that felt like things, um, they stopped. Be and I don't know whether stopping was the, the, the right choice, but that they felt um, that it was making things worse. Yeah. So, you know, um, it, really important for people to do their own investigation. And, you know, if you think that it's right for your, for you or for your child to try it out, many families that I knew the whole family would go through it because the cost, oh, the cost is expensive. And often if you don't have someone locally, you have to have them, uh, come. So you have to have, you know, a certain number of people signed up to do it. And so the whole family would go through it. And I actually, the people that have raved about it the most have been adults who've said, boy, this really helped me. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's always interested me, but we've never, we were never able to prioritize. It was never close. Uh, and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, and some grants cover it and some don't. So there you go. We're just about out of time here, but I want to take it just a second here, Dr. Grampichet, to remind people that they can be watching you on TikTok. And as we mentioned, there's a, there is a video up right now of you with Bailey. Oh, um, okay. But it's the but it's the one where Frankie was not a part of it. So you should watch the the real one. But then I think it's later on today that they're releasing the one of you and Bailey, the outtake, which is hilarious. For that alone, you should follow on TikTok because it's absolutely hilarious. Because Frankie is this. I, I, listen, I'm a cocker spaniel lover. There's no cuter dogs on the face of the planet, but Frankie is extra. Frankie is extra cute. And to see how Frankie reacts to this new friend is hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, so ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Yeah. And, and you can always uh, post questions for me on TikTok too, because that's basically what I do is I answer the questions that are posted there. 
There you go. So we have some questions that came in during the week that I'm going to send over to you in hopes that you can Great. answer them on TikTok. Um, so there we go. We're, we're trying to get more uh, questions answered, you guys. And I'm just saying hello to Michelle that I didn't get to say hello to before. So uh, one more thing that I want to mention to people, which is that this weekend on Sunday, it is the Ed Asner Family Center, um, their yearly gala. It's, it is to celebrate and commemorate the life of Ed Asner, but they're doing the second time, their, their second annual performance of it, a table read of It's a Wonderful Life, that wonderful Christmas movie. This is so started, so, so star-studded, excuse me, on Sunday. Jason Sudeikis is playing the lead role, um, but Martin Sheen is a part of it, Gene Smart. The list is endless. It, it reads like a who's who in Hollywood. Uh, Ed Harris is playing a role. Mandy Patinkin is playing. I know. God, like, it's so good. Um, and um, uh, why, why can I not think of her name right now? Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates is playing Bob Bailey. It's crazy amount of celebrities. Um, and it is a it is a gala. It's online. Anybody can go. The recommended donation per family is $25. You can obviously donate more. Um, and I, I'm sure that there's a way that you could donate less if you had to. They would like for people to be there to see this wonderful performance. There are also many actors on the spectrum that will be featured during it. We happen to love, uh, we've had her on the show many times before, Spencer Hart is going to be performing it as well as Ch Chelsea Darnell, who we've also had on the show. So uh, please support these folks. And, and I want people to know that the money raised goes towards scholarships for the classes and the counseling that happen at the center. And I know Dr. Grand Pichet that you are also one of the sponsors of the event. And if you tune in, you will see a special message from Ask Dr. Doreen. So please, that's happening. Uh, it starts at 5 p.m. Pacific, I can't talk anymore, Pacific time, which means 8 p.m. Eastern time, but you need to sign up to get your tickets. Now it is online. The whole thing is being hosted by Tom Bergeron. There are yes. wonderful, there are wonderful um, auction items. Um, and performances. They even have a, a choir now at the center, uh, teenagers and adults on the spectrum that they're going <clears> to <throat> sing Christmas carols for us. And there's a there's a band that I'm not familiar with because I'm not hip and cool uh, <laughs> that's playing during the intermission. But it should be super duper fun. Uh, it is a full evening. You should you should settle in and uh, plan to be there for several hours because it is a, a many hour long Amazing. thing. But there's even a talk back with the celebrities where you guys can communicate with them. It is online. So, um, and as I said, Dr. Grand Pichet is one of the sponsors. Ask Dr. Doreen. Sponsoring uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the gala. And of course, everybody's remembering Ed. So that's a really important event. So we're out of time, uh, but just wanted to let people know that. Please tune in to Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. We're going to be back tomorrow continuing on with the toy guide we've got some amazing toys to show you guys and we will be giving all of these toys away on the 19th of december if you're in the los angeles area there will be news coming out soon about how you can register to attend our sensitive santa drive-through which will be happening at the ed asner center that is on the afternoon of december 19th and i will keep you guys posted on that as well uh we'll be back tomorrow and thank you dr grand pichet enjoy Always your a pleasure.
Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.